0: If you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits?
1: Hello, and welcome once again to Hollywood RX. The doctors are in. And if I may speak on behalf of. My esteemed colleague, Dr. D. uh, The doctors are inconsolable over the loss of the recently departed Gene Wilder. And we felt it was only fitting to do a special a show just to Gene.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I wish it were under happier circumstances, but I'm, I'm delighted at the chance to talk about some of the work he did through his career that uh, really touched me uh, and uh, inspired me. Um, so... When was the first time you saw... When was the first time you remember seeing him? Oh, that's, uh... That's hard. Um, I, I didn't necessarily want to start with this movie. I think sort of what it was was... I saw him in something, but I didn't kind of realize it was him or know who he was. It wasn't until I started seeing other movies of his later that I went oh, my God, he's that guy from that other thing. I did it, Oh, really? I did it okay. backwards. Um, so, you know, by the time I'm watching Producers, I mean, that came out when I was, like, two years old, so I'm not watching it for quite some time.
1: Right. No, but, okay. Yeah, so... So, so I, you didn't have a Willy Wonka relationship
0: growing well, up? That I, wasn't I, the first time you saw him? I don't... Th- hmm. Let me, let me look at the date of that. I'm a little surprised. Uh, I'm sorry. That came out when I was 10... I probably did see that first. I, well, the I producers
1: sort of... couldn't have come out when you were two, and Willy Wonka come out when you were ten.
0: Uh, the producers, unless, came... you, unless you grew up on
1: another planet that <laughs> oh, is my... orbiting closer to its...
0: <laughs> you fucker. It's, it's, um, it's um, the star... producers came out in 1967. Mm-hmm. I was born in 1965. I was two when that came out. Willy Wonka okay. came out in 1975. 75 minus 65 is 10. 75? Yes. You feel like it's a 73 or a 71 or something?
1: I did feel. I thought it was 72, <laughs> 73. It was going to be my window. Uh, I apologize. No, I thought the okay. was more like 68, 69.
0: No, in 72, he was doing everything you always wanted to know about sex. But we're afraid to ask. Um, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that neither of us saw that at that time. Everything
1: you ever wanted no. to know about sex?
0: When it came out. That when is correct. <laughs> when I was eight years old, I didn't go in and watch him with the sheep in the bed. Um, spoiler alert. He's not. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's no more sh- of a. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You don't have to go see that one. Nice one. No, that was. Uh, was that a Woody Allen film? It sure is. It sure is. And uh, it's basically, you know, they bought the rights to the book that had that title. And then they the book is. And then he
1: just. Yeah. teaches a series it's just- of sketches. Yeah, he basically did what he's doing now, except they were only 15, 20 minutes long instead of 85 to 90.
0: (laughs) But also, uh, I was almost going to liken it to the Woody Allen version of a Zucker Abrams Zucker, you know, or like a Kentucky Fried movie where it's just a series of unrelated sketches. Probably around that that, uh, self referential vibe. Yeah. Um, well, we got off track fast, but oh shit, (laughs) no, you're right. I I probably lost him. I probably did see, um, I'm sure I did see that, uh, Willy Wonka. you're looking that up. No, no, well, I'll just
1: I'll I'll get back on my horse of enthusiasm. Please, um, well, I, I oddly enough was aware of him at a very young age, okay, because I saw Willy Wonka in the theater when it came out. And I also remember vividly, it sounded, it's going to sound nutty now, but, um, catching silver streak the first time oh. it was on television. It was a big deal on television. And that that somehow was like, like the most adult sophisticated comedy I'd seen at that point. I was, I don't know. I was probably about 10.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so it's just funny to hear you say, like, you rec- like you realize later on, oh, it's all that same guy. Yeah. I just sort of, I just always, like, immediately, like,
0: gravitated onto him. And, and you know, it was him. I think for me, like, the that guy guy was, mm-hmm. was, um, was Dick Van Dyke. Like, I knew when he was in something and followed him in that way from a younger age. Yeah. Um but, uh, I,
1: and, and actually, the, I think the very first person I had that relationship with as a, as a child viewer, yeah, already before Gene Wilder, um, was Danny Kay. Oh, and Gene Wilder, I kind of feel like the loss of Gene Wilder and, and the kind of sensitivity that he could bring to his roles. Um, there's something t- Danny kay ish about his performance in Willy Wonka. Absolutely, of, uh, yeah, I absolutely uh, think that. I, I I knew like when, you know, when when he was on screen, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think that Danny Kay connection is really interesting because they do strike me as being uh, sort of cut from the same bolt of cloth um, in their comic rhythms and in their uh, underlying humanity, although. I have a feeling all due respect to uh to Danny Kay and the k you know uh, state the state i i 'm not sure that he was i i think that underneath it all that Gene Wilder himself was a very pure soul and kind of a clean soul and I have a feeling that Danny Kay was sort of a darker in his private life well
1: oh, that's interesting i actually i never knew anything about his private life. And I kind don't, of wouldn't surprise me, though. I don't even now, now really. But it, I just like, have that... Yeah, uh. I kind of see that. Yeah. In the 40s with that <laughs> right. kind of guy.
0: Yeah. Um, but um, so but that's... Danny didn't rock the Jufro like Jim <laughs> like Wilder did. No, he hit it. He hit it under a haircut or something. Uh... Um, <laughs> uh, so I'm pretty sure that Willy Wonka would have been the first time that I saw him or that I really sort of recognized him. So I'm... But I think that then later as a teenager, I saw um, Start the Revolution Without Me.
1: Oh, really? I've never seen that.
0: Oh, uh, I was hoping you'd say that because now you get the pleasure of going to watch Start the Revolution Without Me. Do you know anything about it at all? No. In
1: fact, um, probably to your chagrin, <laughs> yes, um, I've always in my mind... <laughs> Even it's always kind of been like mixed up with with um, How I Won the War.
0: Oh wow, okay. Which I just haven't like, seen, but I'm wait, thinking like you have. they're
1: having. both kind of like the same movie. So I was just uh, a. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I just sort of blew off both of them.
0: I don't think that you are actually even in the ballpark. Just from what little I know about uh, about. Um, what was the other one you referenced? I've already forgotten. <laughs> How I Won the War. How, How I, I won mean, the John War. Richard Lester. John. Yeah, no, just, no.
1: Just for, for our listening audience. Yeah, right. You know, no, no. How I Won the War was starred... Uh, John Lennon. That's right. John Lennon. And uh, was directed by uh, Richard Lester.
0: With whom he had worked on Hard Day's Night? Correct. Um, but not Help.
1: no. Rich, I don't believe Richard Lester is responsible yeah.
0: for it. Right. Uh, I, think you, I think he's probably <laughs> glad of that.
1: Anyway, Start the Revolution Without Me. Start the Go.
0: Revolution Without Me is uh, one of my, like, one of those things that I remember as a teenager. I probably saw it with my brother and just laughing so hard at it. So you've got to figure 13, 14-year-old sensibility. But um, it's uh, essentially Gene Wilder and Donald Sutherland play a set of mismatched twins. So there's two Gene Wilders born one night and two Donald Sutherlands born one night in the same inn on the side of a road somewhere. But due to a mix-up, the uh, the the staff at the inn don't know who's who anymore. So they they basically split up the twins. So one family you know raises a Wilder and a Sutherland, and the other family raises a Wilder and a Sutherland. One of them is a poor working class in France in the whatever hundreds, fifteen, sixteen hundreds, wow. and the other one is the uh, aristocrats. That's really that's
1: really crazy. That's basically that's basically uh, merging the Bible with the parent trap. <laughs> that's what it, that, that's what that sounds like to me Right. In, 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 in the modern day pitch of it's like this meets this right um, right so yeah. um,
0: and basically what what is so we pick up this the story years after that has happened when they're all full grown and uh the the downtrodden pair are have joined uh the revolution the french revolution and the and the uh, upper uh pair are like um Oh my god, did you say uh, assassins? That this
1: took place in France? It's no, I'm not sure I did. It was a modern
0: day. No, no, oh it's my god, that revolution. It's, that revolution. Oh. Sorry, I never oh. said it. So, it's French Revolution. It's uh, And so it's basically the, the brothers will all get the idea is that they're on this path to come into conflict with one another because two of them are with the uh, revolution and trying to overthrow the aristocracy and two of them are, are like assassins who have come in to do something with the aristocracy and so you know they're sort of headed for a collision course. Wow, they
1: sure don't make them like they used to. That's a really complicated <laughs> summary. Yeah,
0: well, I probably did a terrible job doing it, but hilarity ensues. It's very, wow. I find it very funny. And there's some, well, so then it's I, all it's all fish out of water stuff with the two um, the the two um, revolutionaries posing as the other two inside the court of King Louis the Sixteenth. Uh, um, and so there's just a lot of fish out of water comedy there that is. Wow,
1: Um, so so. Just for our our listening audience. (laughs) Sure. um, So now, having heard that, just be it known that start the revolution with me. In no way <laughs> on this earth resembles how I won the war. Lest you think that we're sitting here thinking like we're a couple of smarty pants know it alls. Right.
0: Well, we learned too. My only image of uh, how I won the war is him wearing what appears to be like a World War Two, World War One style helmet. So I figured we were we were way off on the wars. But I um, I, I led you down it, the wrong path. Well,
1: I, I, maybe the posters were similar.
0: Oh. No, the,
1: I, I I don't know. Why. I don't know. I, I, I don't know why. I don't know
0: why my young fragile shell <laughs> mind would have uh, slotted them together.
1: Yeah, I don't know. All um, right, so uh, here's shame. my trivia
0: on this real quick, and then I'll talk a little bit about them. But uh, that Gene Wilder chose to do this film over Catch Twenty Two, presumably in the um, the Yossarian part, that main part. Wow, that was Al, the not Alan Arkin. The Alan Arkin part. Oh, you're saying he should have been in Catch Twenty Two? Yeah, absolutely. Oh no, because this has filled me with joy. What are you, you're ruining on the very? You're ruining the very, the, the the very core of this podcast, which is how this man brought joy to our lives. If he had been Catch Twenty Two, I th- still think it would have been a giant mess. But we can talk about that another time. I'm not a fan of Catch Twenty Two
1: mean, neither am I. I think any change would have been better. Oh, but <laughs> it just automatically been better. Oh,
0: I see. It would have been better for them, but not better for us, because then that means uh, well. Uh, Wilder wanted Groden originally, Charles Groden, instead of Donald Sutherland, um, who is. I can't really see Groden at any age pulling off that. Yeah, nope, you...
1: I disagree. Oh, OK. Nope, I OK, <laughs> great. Grodin, no, Grodin's an undersung Charles, comic genius. OK, I had this all. I had this all. <laughs> I had this all lined
0: up when we got to the woman in red. Oh, no. Oh, I, Jesus, we were going to get to the woman no, in it's red. No, OK, no, because I okay. already shot
1: myself. I already like blew my silver streak wad in the first 10 <laughs> That's minutes. That's
0: true. And then you had the, oh, the I don't two know movies you. I had, had such a structure for this show and it's just oh. completely gone to hell. This uh, this show is the show equivalent of what happens when somebody's trying to make a souffle and somebody else slams the door.
1: Yeah, okay. it's basically like uh, like like uh, <clears throat> like Iron Chef meets uh, Big Brother.
0: Okay, I'll go with that. Uh, I mean, so... the souffle and stuff oh yeah, going. I see what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we can you can do a Charles Grodin thing later. I I certainly have a fondness for him as well. Um, bup, bup, bup. that's all the trivia there well, but... it, uh, so how come, how come that didn't
1: happen because oddly enough Charles Grodin very famously turned down the lead in uh, The Graduate
0: well it's so funny you should say that because I have a, uh, something else about The Graduate in a couple of minutes but uh, Grodin was committed to directing a uh, Broadway production of Lovers and Other Strangers so, oh cool! So, I know
1: no, I don't know. I, I read his uh, his first book, and I know that there is there was like a whole world of theater that existed for him. That's yeah, okay. It makes I don't sense. Know. I just feel like yeah, I just feel like he like almost had this other career that I don't know. Right, I understand. Maybe, maybe, maybe I understand. A graduate would have fallen on its
0: face yeah. as the overrated masterpiece. <laughs> 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 Um, so, oh, that's so interesting. Okay, so anyway, that was Charles Grodin. What I just wanted to say about, about, um, Wilder in this particular movie is that because they're basically both playing, but concentrating on him instead of Donald Sutherland, um, two characters. So he can't be the same guy he always is. One of them is more of the... The Gene Wilder prototype who's a little bit of nervous and a little bit nevishy, but he's sort of mm-hmm. pulling himself up so that he can impersonate a, a a a worldwide assassin and then on the other side he is that assassin who has the smoothness and the you know what I mean like mm-hmm. the the cunning and the the killer instinct and all of that so it was uh, see, you didn't always see him that way
1: interesting because for me <laughs> yeah there was a little bit of that to his character in Silver Streak. And I didn't know that he had ever done it previously. Gotcha.
0: Like,
1: right. You know what I mean? So all this time I just thought, oh, he's really comedic. Except like he really kind of got it out for the right. s- stuff in Silver Streak. And now I'm finding out he actually kind of, well, he, w- he swam in those waters before. And that's I th- cool.
0: I think it would be interesting for you to go back and revisit or visit for the first time uh, Revolution. And for me to revisit Silver yeah. Streak, which I don't have as vivid a memory of as I think you do. <gasps>
1: Then you really must. All right. Well, we'll and get you there. You really must. We'll get I'll there. I'll tell you what. Yeah. I'll tell you what, listeners. If we get enough, if we get enough people, oh, no. <laughs> if we oh, get enough God. people writing in, commenting on our page, anything like that of the sort, we will do a follow-up episode to this. Oh no. After I've seen "Storm to of the Revolution" without me, and Adam has seen "Silver Street." Fair enough. Okay.
0: Just saying. Kind of like
1: a little, little, little bonus content. Absolutely. If anyone wants it, just mm-hmm. shout.
0: Yes, use the uh, use the social media for the show uh, as a way to shout to us. So, um, anyway, that was start the revolution. Soft uh, spot for me, and um, and you know my other ones are uh, you know I don't go that much further for him. Woman in red is yeah.
1: Okay, okay. Well then I'm gonna. Well then sit down. Okay, I'm not saying I'm completely. I'm gonna tell
0: you the story (laughs) of me and Gene Wilder. Well. I want to jump uh, no, in one I, thing, one thing. Yeah. Just jump, jump jump jump. Bonnie jump. and Clyde. I do I vividly remember him from that even though that's not really a picture, you know, he's basically a supporting right. character. Right, in- he just has like one scene. Yeah. But if I recall but, but he, or a couple of scenes.
1: But to me yeah, he's no, a standout
0: I, in that. <clears throat>
1: that wasn't then that and that kind of like that that definitely made a name for him at the time. Yeah. A little name. But um yeah, I um I didn't think you were going to go to Bonnie and Clyde. That's oh, sorry. Funny. Sorry. No, it's okay. No, because it just, <laughs> To me, that's like a small blip on his radar. It probably isn't in the larger scheme of things. Right, but I'm just sort right. of like, oh, okay, great. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. It's kind of like the way we think about Brad Pitt, like the way we now think about Brad Pitt and Thelma and
0: Louise, like, yes. yeah, okay, I'll yeah, this tell game's you what. good, but whatever. Brad Pitt in True Romance is what the reference should be. Because everybody knows Thelma and Louise, but a lot of people don't know True Romance, and he's in that.
1: Um, Except he's—he's like the only good thing about True Romance.
0: Oh no! Now I'm—you and I have to fisticuff. Oh, is that a fact? (laughs) That's a fact.
1: Am I am I gonna am I marching my way to the front of that line? You are at your front door. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm gonna be at oh, your door. I'm okay. gonna be at your door, motherfucker. Uh, no, I have a soft oh. I have a soft spot for that movie as well, but I'm not sure I can really defend it. But uh, <laughs> I'm throwing you for a loop. You can't uh, believe it. Um, yeah, yeah. Let me I, yeah, I don't let know. me put I'm it sorry. this way. I um,
1: apologize for a listening audience. I didn't think that Quentin Tarantino was gonna come up in a Gene Wilder tribute either. <laughs>
0: I'll put it this way. My, my When my wife and I got married, we wrote the ceremony, so on and so forth. We incorporated um, elements from our favorite movies. So instead of saying, I do, for example, we used As You Wish from um, Princess Bride. Um, and uh, we had the uh, the... The person I actually
1: uh, did not remember
0: that. The oh right, you were of course you were there for all of that. Um, right. The oh, minister, right? right. right saying, yes. I was he was just,
1: updating <laughs> you. No, no, those, I was
0: so. updating the audience. But um, when the uh, the the man presiding over this uh, ceremony said to me, "Turn to the right," it was a reference to raising Arizona. Turn to the right. Is what she says every time she's taking his picture. And yes. and uh, my lovely wife uh, uh, Doreen came down the aisle to the music that plays in the last scene of True Romance, um, just as a, a reference to true. that. It's no, but like, that's a, like a
1: totally private reference, right? Because True Romance doesn't have like a signature song that everyone
0: identifies with. That's true, but in it, al- but in all those cases, I'm sure that nobody watching had any idea we were referencing any of those movies. Case in point.
1: Maybe by turn to the right,
0: maybe uh, just because I didn't remember it doesn't mean
1: I didn't read
0: that you didn't notice
1: it. Uh, that, yeah, that doesn't mean I was unaware of it. But at the time, this,
0: yeah, okay. I... So this has little or nothing to do with Gene Wilder, and I'm going to turn it back to you. Tell me about your relationship with know, Gene Wilder. No, that's okay. Um, no, but that's funny because what um, you said about
1: uh, turn to the right because the hmm, the first time I was married. <laughs> And we were both big fans of that movie. During the ceremony, when I put the ring on, I, I I'm like, oh, why didn't I think of this before? Yeah. I wanted to say,
0: don't worry, I paid for it. Oh my God, that would have been awesome. That's fantastic.
1: No, I don't know about that. It didn't no, really, no. It was, no, it didn't happen except in my head. But anyway, I understand. So now, no, right, so all right, now the we we've we've commandeered the boat. We have steered out of. Tarantino Bay. Yes. We're okay. Please We're in the take us back. Take us back. Yes. Ocean. Very good. Uh, so you didn't... Um, well, okay. So you said a minute ago, like, you didn't really have, like, much else of a, of a memory, him being a presence for you. And I kind of, like, find that surprising because I'm sure... That, there, that any Gene Wilder fan who happens to be tuning in will be appalled by the fact that it took 30 minutes before we mentioned Young Frankenstein, <laughs> the movie that he's probably most going to be well-known for. Uh,
0: yes, probably. Let me say this, then, to make myself more clear, was that you're talking about Woman in Red, and I'm saying I didn't go that far. Not to say that I don't know these other movies, but everyone who's talked about him in the last month or in the last... 30 years has talked about young Frankenstein and we can certainly spend some time on it, but nobody's talking about start the revolution without me, which is what I wanted to bring to the table. So I've Ah, seen young Frankenstein. I've seen the work, his work with Mel Brooks thoroughly.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, I didn't know, I didn't know if we were like, if this was like the cast for people just finding out about Gene Wilder or (laughs) right. Well
0: nuanced for the, I I mean, I figure we'll touch on all of them, but woman in the red was the last Gene Wilder film I went to in a theater.
1: I believe that's that oh, that's definitely true for me.
0: Um,
1: well, no, actually I, unfortunately that's not true for me. Um I did I, I I got it was my very first uh time as one of those uh marketing preview audiences oh. Where they screen the rough cut. Um and it was uh, it was for Haunted Honeymoon. Yes. No, oh, no. Um so the, but the last movie of his I willingly saw in the theater... Right. Was the last time
0: you went to a movie theater because he was in that movie was Woman in Red. And the same thing for me.
1: Though I was tempted... I was tempted with See No Evil, Hear No
0: Evil. Ah, uh, yes. Just
1: because... Just because I, I know they were both old and at that point, but just the, the incredible poster of that movie of... <laughs> Richard Pryor like, blowing a trumpet into his ear and he just right. doesn't know what's going on. I'm like, it's already funny. <laughs> just the, the expression on his face. Yes. It's just, it's just great. I, I, it, I managed to finagle my way into um, getting my dad to take me to see Stir Crazy when it came out. Oh, wow. I was 12. There's no oh, way on my God. Earth a 12-year-old should have been allowed into the theater, even <laughs> with a parent. But that's just one of many early R-rated <laughs> experiences I right. managed somehow. Um, so I always was sort of, and with Silver Streak, I was always sort of aware of like the Richard Pryor connection. Sure, like, like, sure. teaming them. And... That's actually yeah, that's the only one of, that's the only one of the three I haven't seen.
0: Oh, wow. Um,
1: Although yeah. I'm sure I don't know how much this was covered in the last <clears throat> month since he died. But um Mel Brooks originally wanted Richard Pryor for Blazing Saddles. Sure, sure. Instead of even little. Yeah. And um I wondered to what extent Gene Wild, Gene might have played a a role in that desire. Right. Um I just find it odd that they then <clears throat> team up and they're a hit.
0: Yeah. That is uh interesting. I'm trying to get wrap my head around the um the sequence of it because blazing saddles is well predates before young frankenstein it predates silver streak by two years correct so i i thought what you meant was that uh that maybe they had done silver streak and then we're going to do blazing saddles but it didn't work out and uh, i'm sorry no. i was getting okay
1: <clears throat> yeah yeah no I, I understand where you're coming from No, no, no. the chronology is um, i frankly
0: think that 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 uh Why am I? Richard Pryor. At his prime, which I don't think he was when they were shooting Blazing Saddles, but at his prime, would have been absolutely fantastic in Blazing Saddles.
1: He would have been fine at the time.
0: All due respect to uh, Cleavon.
1: No, he would have been fine at that time, I think.
0: No, I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably certain it didn't work out for insurance reasons or something else. I mean...
1: Um, well, or was it well, timing? What, I, what I've read is yeah. that
0: uh, is that the studio
1: that, that that Pryor somehow was was not a crossover. Mm. They they didn't see him as a crossover star. He was a little too dangerous, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he put out comedy albums called Super Nigger, with right. him you know in a Superman right. <laughs> It with a big N on his chest. I mean, that's he was He was kind of like a, he was kind of like a black lenny Bruce, and yes, yeah, okay, you know, and plus the the that kind of raunchy comedy hadn't really i don't know, I mean you know the the famous story that Mill Brooks is told is that he screened it for the executives, and they hated it and were ready to just put it on the shelf and write it off, wow, and he convinced them to screen it for the the employees, the, the secretaries, the cubicle people. Yeah. And they they did and that was, you know, a, an audience in tears with laughter.
0: That's amazing.
1: And they went with it. So I could, you know Okay. Which is interesting because it's Warner Brothers and that's the studio that did The Exorcist the year before. Right. So it's not like, you know going going there. Was this wasn't it was like beyond Disney, them? Yeah, loud, you know what I mean.
0: Exactly, exactly. Um, I did become aware of the producers. I think that's more of one of my favorites of his rather than say, uh, Willy Wonka. I-, I find Willy Wonka a little bit much. I mean, I like musicals a lot, and I like a, a couple of the songs in there a lot.
1: I don't even like musicals, and I don't <laughs> like any of the songs in there. <laughs> and. But- it's 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 I find the not all the non musical scenes, there's something in I, I I mean I realize now, you know, thanks to the Tim Burton, Johnny Depp movie that it was that the original story had a much more darker edge, being grawl Doll. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, in nineteen seventy four or five, whenever they actually shot it, the sensibility at that time wasn't gonna go there, and so they made it a kids' movie and I right. get all that. Right. But um not having known that at the time, um, and having seen it in the theater where it's big and impressive, yeah, um, you know, really like the the what goes on in Willy Wonka is kind of kind of uh scary, kind of disturbing. It really is. It really is in in, in ways that. Well, I mean, I don't think comparatively, they do anymore in kids movies. They don't really make a lot of live action kids movies like they right. used to.
0: Well, it was almost like they. They had this dark element, but they didn't want to fully commit to it. So they dressed it up with all this bright and shiny stuff around yeah. it. So it's like this hybrid, but he definitely got, got a little bit of evil in him underneath he in does. that movie where he you does, don't see that in his other work.
1: But he's also, he also has these little, these little asides with Charlie and, and he, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm in my mind, I'm, morphing two scenes together. Right. Bashing them up that they don't belong that way. But uh, it seems like to me, like, he he gives Charlie this little, like, secret reassurance, like, oh, don't worry,
0: this is all okay. It's,
1: it, it's definitely... And, and it, I remember to this day I get chills.
0: He definitely has multiple sort of layers going, or from scene to scene, he will almost seem like you're like, is this guy tr- for real? Can we trust him? Oh no, he's he's nice. He's very oh, it's Gene Wilder, so he's nice, you know. Well, but then there's this other thing going on. Performance ah. because he was really, really great with expression. Absolutely. Um, yeah.
1: In in ways that you know you don't see a lot in people who are grounded in stand up comedy.
0: Right. I mean, he's he has he has the comedy he gift. Wasn't. But, right, he has the comic gift, but he is also a, a very gifted actor, uh, dramatically in, in the sense. Yes, he, right. He comes, he
1: comes from a dramatic background, and he just happened, and he, he brought that sensitivity to comedy. He's, yeah, I think you know, so. Great timing.
0: Um, uh, so for me, although I see it and I and I, I get references from it, and I like it, um, Wonka is for me lesser than say the producers, where um, I
1: have. To- it, I, I need to see that again
0: because the last time I saw it was like
1: uh, freaking VHS, and it was oh yeah, you know probably not. You know, like a, it was a really soft print and grainy. It kind of had that look of like <laughs> the ABC Four Thirty movie, you right, know, right, like right. It was. Uh, I, I need to watch it again.
0: Well, I, remember I mean, it
1: fondly, but I don't remember much about it.
0: Okay, I mean, Zero Mostel is this giant like a volcano of a man as far as an actor is concerned. He's explosive. And to 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 put that next to, you know, Gene Wilder's kind of titmouse uh, is just a fantastic combination. And um, just the way he sucks him into this insanity um, and they sort of throw in together on this insane, and this insane trip is absolutely fantastic. And... Um, and it's just—I don't think it's as necessarily as nuanced a performance from him as some of these others we're talking about from Gene Wilder, in particular. But mm-hmm. but he's very funny, and he he just nails that thing. And I know that the <clears throat> that it was then turned into that to a Broadway musical with Nathan Lane in the Zero Mostel part. He had recreated various Zero Mostel. Um, Film uh, stage parts, he'd done, you know, Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum on stage and a bunch of other stuff that that Zero had originated. Um, And and Lane was certainly a very good stand in there. He's a terrific actor himself, particularly on stage. Um, But I never quite got... um, Broderick? Broderick. He he never felt like he fit in that part the way Gene felt he fit in the part in the movie. I never quite got it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Completely.
0: And then the the resulting movie from that is an absolute horror show. Even with the two of stars from the Broadway show, it's just very, very slat um for the most part. But um but yeah, I've always had a real soft spot for that movie. Yeah, you might you might want to go back and check it out again. I just read hilariously to me, just because you were talking about how um they didn't want to release his uh uh blazing saddles they wanted to just shelve it he was trying to get that movie put through the producers with the title springtime for hitler
1: oh yeah you didn't know that i didn't yeah, know that that's, that, that that's was the, the original
0: the... working title or whatever
1: oh yeah 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 that's like the, the that's like the appetizer of trivia for that movie <laughs>
0: oh well then i'm well yeah. for mill brooks too <laughs> actually probably yeah okay well then i'm embarrassed how about this he won a, he won best oscar Best screenplay Oscar for the producers, Mel Brooks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. Did. I did not yep. know that. Yep. That's uh, very, very interesting um, because he did not then seem to put that level of <laughs> uh, craftsmanship into what followed. Well, <laughs> well, I, I did tell you I wasn't going to end up with anybody at my doorstep. Maybe it will be Mel Brooks who ends up. Uh, Yeah, he's still kicking. Shaking his fist. You're kicking his foot at me. He's still still, still Um, kicking. But, uh, so did you have more of the story of you and Gene you wanted to tell? Because I had just one other thing I wanted to...
1: No, definitely not now since, you know, now the show's taken on an alternate universe type... (laughs) It's ruined. ...series of events. Yeah. Well, no, that's not true. I was really excited to talk about two of his movies that don't get talked about all that much, Silver Streak and The Woman in Red, as if this is a big surprise at this point in the show. At this show. point, no, please Silver talk too. about them. No, Silver Streak um, is great. It's like this great, like, it, it's sort of like a North by Northwest meets... Uh, no, you know what? I'm not even I'm going to... You're disgrace not going to do that. It. No, I'm not going <laughs> to disgrace it with that because that wasn't the goal Sorry. the time. No, it's like this adventure caper movie that's also a little, a little sexy, a little raunchy, a little funny. Yeah. Uh, But it's uh, it it, it has a mountain of a cast. There's him and Richard Pryor. You've got Jill Clayburg. You have Ned Beatty. Ray Walston is in it. This is. Oh my God. Yeah. You got you got Fred Willard in there. Yeah, Scatman Crothers. You got you got the Scatman. Oh, my God, how old was Fred Willard? Was he 12? He's a, he was a young he was a young fella. Wow. It's true. And I know that this will have some resonance for you, Dr. D, and probably some of our listening audience as well. Um, Silver Streak is written by a man named Colin Higgins. Before you click, does that name mean anything to you?
0: <laughs> Sadly, it doesn't. Oh, no. Have I disgraced myself again? Writer of Harold and Maude. Harold and Maude. Oh, oh my oh. God. Oh, I am embarrassed. The thing is that I connected with Harold and no, Maude. No, there is
1: no thing. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. There no. There is no talking your way out of this one.
0: Okay, okay. I'll stay quiet. Harold and Maude is, is wonderful. Uh, I, I never even thought about it being, this is, this is going to be sacrilegious. Is he still alive? that is his. <laughs> he just shaking
1: his head at me. no he died I'm not editing this out I'm no, not no 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 I don't
0: silence. there's no, no. Oh, no. There's no I am not ashamed second. of any any of this listen i was so in love with ruth gordon and the way she did that it never even sort of occurred to me somebody had written it that anyone it, else was involved that anyone else was involved it just seemed to come out of her um i was i was young when i saw this movie and it uh, i wasn't of a mind of Okay. Never mind. Well, all right. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna steer the no, train. No, no, back no, 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 no. That's okay. That's a fantastic. I'm so glad you brought that up, and I'm so glad you brought up Harold and Mullen. Um She's great. I can give or take her co-star, Bud Court. Bud I mean, I I think he's great in that. He's fantastic in that. But I don't much see other work that he did subsequently or previously that uh, touched me as much.
1: Okay, so what are you like deducting points
0: now from his greatness? No, there is no there there is no deduction here. It's all okay. great. It's a favorite movie of mine. I'm so glad you brought it up. I believe oh. I showed it to my wife and she looked at me and went, What was that about?
1: Colin Higgins also wrote
0: nine to five. I see that. I was I was it's afraid to, play. afraid to say any of these things lest I get slapped on the wrist for not having oh. known it before. No, 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 It's okay. No, no, no. You know what it is? You're like the surrogate for the audience.
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you are such now, a no bastard. no else has to be embarrassed that they've never heard of this shit either. Yeah, thank you. Well, yeah. that feels good. No, I'm okay. doing uh, the Lord's
0: no, no, no. work. All right, so um, that the, you, you sold me on going and seeing it. That's the one you wanted me to go and see. It was uh, Silver Streak for us to talk about later, yes? Yes. Okay, I feel like your heart has just gone out of this thing. Are you still with me? Have I oh, so, no, I have I I so I severely just, disappointed you that you're... It's,
1: it's just so not the way I wanted it to
0: Oh, you're breaking my heart. It's going exactly...
1: I don't mean not the way I wanted it to <laughs> I mean, it didn't... I, I, I had a vision.
0: I understand. Listen, with the two of us and our t- recent track record, we're lucky there's anything happening at all. <laughs> and you can leave that in if you want to. So many technical problems. I'm delighted that we're still uh, actually connected to one another, and the thing is recording. Um, oh. uh, I'm having a grand time. and uh, <laughs> A very <laughs> special Hollywood <laughs> Yeah, hour. exactly. And what was the last one? Woman in Red. You really better make a case for this, for even bringing this one up, because uh, what... What stayed with you from Woman in Red? Because I've tried to just forget it, is what I've tried oh, to no, do. Oh,
1: no, 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 no. No, 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 no. There are two things. Okay. They, 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 not things. There are two elements that make it gold. Just the fact that he put it together, that he made those elements happen, it kind of forget. I forgive everything else. <laughs> okay. Okay. Those elements would be Gilda Radner. Whose facial expressions in that movie are priceless. Okay. And Charles Grodin, <laughs> unsung comedy near genius, frustrated genius. Um, they they both just sort of make that movie for me. He his character he he's like the the best friend, but then spoiler alert he. He gets, he gets outed as gay. And it's okay. This is the funny thing about the movie, is that the movie takes place in San Francisco. So. I don't know why they think that it would be a major surprise to anybody <laughs> in San Francisco that one of their, right. that they find out one of their
0: friends is gay, but that's besides the point. Yeah.
1: Uh, this was the early eighties. I think I can't remember the exact, I can't
0: remember the exact right. think Maybe it was originally set in Sheboygan and somebody said, no, we're going to have to relocate it to San Francisco where it's okay to be yeah, gay. We get a
1: bit of tax break. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And he's just really wonderful in it. There's an amazing scene with, uh, Oh, I can't remember who who it is. They, they they want to cheer Gene Wilder's character up. Yeah. So so they basically prank this high end restaurant where yeah. Charles Grodin <clears throat> comes in pretending to be blind with a cane, and I think it's Ron Carey or someone like that, who's his 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 man helper, and like they come in, they ask for a table, and and then Ron Carey's like, I gotta go to the bathroom. I'll be right back, and he leaves. Groden alone, and Groden pretends to, like, freak out, because Jake, like, where are you, Jake? Like, where'd you go? And he's, like, <laughs> smashing things up with the thing and whatnot. Culminates with him, drive, like, driving the car that they're getting away from, just waving his hands in front of the steering wheel.
0: It's <laughs> That's Groden in that part. That is Groden in that part. Okay, that, uh, that for, first of all, mentioning Ron Care, uh, Carey is fantastic. I'm not uh, even
1: sure if that was actually him
0: uh, or not. It, I don't believe it was or he was uncredited, but, uh, but I love him from two other things so much that uh, I'm willing to go <laughs> look at it just in case it is him. Um, of course, he's fantastic in the aforementioned Mel Brooks's, uh, not Vertigo, High Anxiety. High Anxiety. And uh, from Barney Miller. He was fantastic on Barney Miller. Do you remember him on that, or did you not watch that show? I was not huge on Barney okay. Miller. He was a, a uniform cop who would come up every once in a while to the detective room, which is where the show was set, and he clearly wanted to be a detective, and so he did a lot of posing and a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm as smart as you guys' stuff, but it was really just a guy who was a schlub who was not really ever going to amount to much, but he just was so beautiful and heartbreaking and wonderful in that part. Uh, you know, probably was in five episodes a year or something like that and then eventually hmm. i think he did make detective and they brought him in probably the way on the brady bunch they brought oliver in at the end yes <laughs> they did the same thing with, with him but, but um, I, I
1: don't i don't believe that uh cousin oliver was uh i don't believe he was recurring i think he no sort I think of he in was just for a, a set period of time and then gone. a full
0: in you know they pulled him right in yeah you're right that was a bad example you were just shaming me every time. But, but we know what
1: you <laughs> <had>. meant. I'm, <laughs> yeah,
0: so no, I'm joking. I'm it's, it's fine. Uh, yeah. um, no, it's that's a, that's cool. This now is our team. this is the show. I know the Groden for me. I think starts and ends with um, uh, Midnight Run.
1: Oh uh, well, he is genius
0: in that. He is so, short, so good in that movie. I got to watch it again. It's it's, it's kind of hard to find.
1: Really, really, really great in in a little in like a supporting part in the lonely guy that steve oh
0: Martin. is he the one who has the party with this with the cutouts yeah yes yes he is very good in that as well the lonely guy I had forgotten about that i had forgotten like, that hearses
1: before he picks up the phone to say hello you I know what
0: we had, used to have a lot of funny guys
1: we did just, not funny in the sense that they were like comedians coming up, but just sort of actors who could do comedy. Absolutely.
0: Well. And that they just sort of stepped in and they moved around, they did their stuff. Because now you don't, you know, it's all Seth Rogen and uh, and Seth Rogen, pretty much. Um, and Judd Apatow, whoever's attached to him like a like a sucking fish or whatever those things that barnacle onto <laughs> other things um, and, and ride around with them. Um, I think... I think it is Apatow who is joining the line. Be- <laughs> could be.
1: Didn't didn't, think we, you didn't think we were no. going to find one in the Gene Wilder episode, huh? He
0: and Mel Brooks are going to Uber pool over here and oh, uh, and punch me. So I had they one other...
1: And you'll get the call. That's,
0: yeah, the yeah, that's right. I will. I'll drive them myself. Um, I I'll had do. sort of one last thing I needed to touch on for him or that I thought I wanted to just talk about briefly him being Gene Wilder. Um, which was just that I really think that he and Mel Brooks brought out the best in each other.
1: I agree. I always wanted Gene Wilder to be in High Anxiety.
0: Oh, wow. That's don't really know why interesting. I not that didn't
1: work. Because you see... Brooks doesn't work for me as a screen presence.
0: No, he doesn't. He's, he's, uh, he's not even as good as Woody Allen. He's... I mean he's even, he's even worse than Woody Allen is how you put it. He's not as
1: magnetic as Woody Allen. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it's just compelling. Um, yes, I just I mean you think about you think about directors and and like director writers um and even if a script didn't say written by Mel Brooks on it, I still feel like he must have had huge impact on the content. Um, yeah. he was that kind of guy. Uh so is that kind of guy. Sorry, we're not eulogizing Mel. Um, so um, but like you think about, uh, this isn't in the comedy realm, but like Scorsese and, uh, and De, Niro, De Niro, or now in the later years, Leonardo DiCaprio and, and Scorsese, um, where clearly that director is drawn to that Right performer. Peter
1: Sellers and Blake Edwards.
0: That's a good, I was going to say that you don't see it as much in the comedy no. genre now. Like, where they'll oh. keep coming back to it. But that's a good example, except that everything after the second Pink Panther movie is pretty terrible. Um, I mean, all of those those Pink Panther movies were diminishing returns all the way down. Yes, unfortunately. Um, um, but... Um, but I really just felt like like the work that they did I, I together thought, uh, was the best work you know, of their careers. Well, it
1: seems like... Well, I don't know. It seems to me, like, how would you put the... Uh, <laughs> the uh, the 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 Ben Stiller, Owen Wilson, Vince Vaughn constellation. I mean, they don't team up with a, with consistently with the same directors, but they have almost a kind of uh, troop ish feeling. Yes,
0: I would put that more in the category of of Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. In that they're performers that are moving from one vehicle to another, uh, possibly with a producer in common, but not necessarily directors. Yeah. Um, But just this, this idea, I really feel like there was something very special in what they produced together. And I've, for a very long time, thought they must have just had some kind of falling out. Because it doesn't make sense to me that they wouldn't have sought each other out later.
1: Well... Let's, you know, we could, I think we could, I don't know. We might be able to break it down. First of, uh, I I haven't looked this up. If you want to look it up, Okay, whatever. But I believe um, High Anxiety sort of was around the same time that Gene was writing and directing The World's Greatest Lover. Okay. So it could have been a scheduling conflict that kept him out of that. Then he got in with Pryor again and Sydney Poitier for stir crazy and it just, I just see it sort of, I don't know. And then what, high, what? history of the world is what, like 85? I don't know. I think, I think they just sort of naturally gravitated apart. I think they were like, like Simon and Garfunkel. They, they, they were meant to, to be together for a certain time and do this amazing work and, wow. and
0: in their own ways. Um, I'm not sure what I was supposed to look up, but I can't do it anyway. That's uh, that's interesting. That's an interesting way to put it. And it's so funny because when I thought about the idea that maybe they had a falling out, right? Mm -hmm. Or whatever it was that kept them apart. I never thought of it in terms of, oh, but what what if Gene Wilder had been in this Mel Brooks movie or that Mel Brooks movie instead of whoever was in it? It never occurred to me that it would have been already existing Mel Brooks movies. What I sort of feel like is there's an unmade Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder movie that that doesn't exist because their their force never came back together. Not that Gene would have been plugged into one of the already existing ones, but that somehow working together they would have there would have been yet another.
1: Yeah, I could see that. I also think um, probably. Um... You know you want to talk about the way orbits overlap. <laughs> yeah, uh, or trajectories kind of play out against each other. Um, I think by the time Gene was uh, was having to yeah. to deal with Gilda Radner's death was around the same time that uh, Mel Brooks's stock crashed and and burned. Right. we're talking mid to late eighties. Because after history of the world, unless I'm forgetting something,
0: uh oh, nah, space balls, <laughs> I guess. You know what? People kind of her- you know, herald that, but it's it's just awful.
1: I, I I think so too. But even but you know what? Even when that came out, I kind of felt at the time like like Gene like Gene should be in this. Like you kinda of like it felt like everything after High Anxiety, felt like lesser of a Mel Brooks movie. And it really seemed like he was kind of struggling for that kind of presence. Right. There just isn't any. Right, right, right. I I think Gene probably stopped working for a little while in the years
0: after Gilda's death. Right. I think you're right. And even as her health was waning, he was not in in any sort of position to do the kind of work he had been doing.
1: Oh, no, no, no. Of course not. And he probably was in a different place in his life at that point, too.
0: Right, right.
1: So, yeah. I mean, yeah, the the, the what could have been. I don't know if I have that really, that sort of substitution fantasy with other movies. Um, I mean, yeah, probably. But I don't think with any kind of pattern to it, you know. I yeah, don't think, yeah. I don't think Gene Wilder could have saved Robin Hood <laughs> Men in Tights. Don't get me wrong. Uh, no, no but, one could have. Or Life Stinks, but...
0: Oh, my God. I saw that in the theater. I can still remember. Which? Life Stinks. Life Stinks? I, I, thought on, I, I saw it on the on the Upper East Side. I can remember <sighs> sitting in the theater watching that. Ouch. I know. I don't remember well. what it was like the day my son was born, but I remember sitting in
1: the theater watching Life Stinks. Uh, wow.
0: Oh, boy. All oh. right. Well... I, I, is there more fitting a tribute to Gene
1: Wilder than that
0: <laughs> no I don't think so let's steer it back for closing thoughts I just yes you know um, there was a sweetness and a gentleness to his work and to his soul and I uh, my world is a better place for having shared uh, his work with my, uh, the ones I love and myself and uh, with the people listening today
1: yeah I, I would have to agree I, there, there was something uh, there was something beautifully vulnerable about all the characters he played and even if you didn't like the movie you kind of you plugged into one of them and he just he just made whatever he was in earthy and real and a lot of times very funny it just to me he was like the king of expression even something like The World's Greatest Lover Everything's funny in it because it's him. Right, Um, right. Anyway, but uh, yes, it's not a surprise, obviously, that he has departed this world. But as in many cases, wish he could have heard how much we love him at this stage of the game. Amen. Before we go, I feel I would be a little remiss in not bringing this up because I don't think it got a lot of attention. But uh, yeah. apparently, it was three years ago, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, um, and his nephew told NPR that the reason the diagnosis was kept secret was because, this is a direct quote,
0: Uh uh-huh.
1: quote, there were times we would go out to dinner as a family and children would light up at the sight of him and smile. And because he never lost his instinct or sense or sensibility, it occurred to him that if disease, if the disease were made public as regards him, then after that smile, some parent may then say something about the disease or sadness. Mm. And he was such that he could not bear to be responsible for one less smile in the world. That's a sentiment I don't think many people would make these days. Yeah,
0: that is incredible. Wow.
1: Those are nice words.
0: They don't make them like that anymore.
1: They sure don't.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to thank you for listening. This is all the time we have for this evening. Uh, For now, and until next time, the doctors are out. Hold your breath. Make a wish. Count to three. Come with me and you'll be